Back to Romans chapter 3. If you're new to Grace Church, you need to know one of our uh, commitments is to preach through, systematically through the Word of God. So we normally are preaching and studying our way through books. Occasionally we will take a pause from that and do other things, but most of the time um, we will be working through books. So um, we're in Romans, we're in chapter 3. Two-thirds of the way through this morning, the text we'll look at. We've been in this section for some time, although not as long as some others have been. I was listening to John Piper this week, and he said that he spent 26 weeks on this section. Six months. So, it seems like we've been talking about sin for a long time, but um, not quite that long. But uh, we're, we're in the section from 118 to 320, where Paul is, um, he's laid out his theme, which is the gospel and righteousness through faith and faith alone. He began by showing the guilt of the Gentiles in the rest of chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. He's turned his guns on the Jews to show that they too are sinful and need a Savior. He's addressed not only their sin, but their, some of their excuses, um, how they've misused their privileges. Uh, we've seen the conclusion that both Jews and Greeks are under sin and looked at testimony from uh, Scripture, from Psalms and Isaiah, quotes that he's used sort of in his, his summing up and his closing argument to show that all are sinful and need a Savior. And, and we, have, we have his... Closing two verses of that section before us this morning, verses 19 and 20. But um, I want to read from 9 to 20 before we look at it. Paul asked this question, what then, in verse 9, what then, are we Jews any better off than Gentiles? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, now watch carefully how God's, God's opinion and, and the truth of His Word about the need of mankind, Jew and Gentile, for a Savior and the fact that we can't save ourselves. Watch in verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law or in the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's far God's word. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we pray that your spirit would take your word and do your work. Lord, empower me, help me to preach your word faithfully, truthfully, that your spirit might work in and through it. We pray, I pray even that you would, Lord, work through me to communicate your grace to your people. Grant me unction and freedom and power to preach your word and grant us the same power to hear it, Lord. Hearts that love it, minds that want it, minds that are thirsty for it and, and seek to understand and apply it. That we might trust Christ and live for Christ in these difficult days. Lord, have mercy upon us and lead us in your paths. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We ask for it and trust for it, knowing it is your will. In Jesus' holy name, amen. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first-degree murder. Imagine that was you. And imagine that you come back for sentencing and what you hear next from the judge is, I sentence you to death. You're clearly guilty of the crime. It's been demonstrated. But like all who are in prison, it seems, you howl in protest and claim to be innocent, promise to appeal, claim injustice, while you really should be silent because you are guilty. That's an imaginary situation, but I have bad news. That's you. That's me. That's all of us apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You are guilty in God's court and you are sentenced to death and God's law proves it and that's what Paul has brought about to show us. Unless you repent, one day you will come to a stunned silence as you see the evidence piled up against you and you will have no chance of appeal. See, today we're concluding the section where Paul has brought forth sufficient testimony and evidence to prove that everyone, everyone is sinful and needs a Savior. All of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the Greeks, what your Bible says, are sinful and need a Savior. And all of the Jews are sinful and need a Savior. None can save themselves. All deserve condemnation. Today we see his last two, what we call his last two verses. Really wasn't verse numbers when he was writing this epistle, but it is helpful. And I entitled this, Every Mouth Stopped. Every mouth stopped. 
Because they will be. But the main point is, hush and hope in Christ. Because no one can be justified by keeping God's law. First thing I want to look at is verse 19. Everyone, I separated those on purpose to make emphasis on the individual as part of the group. Everyone will be silenced by God's law. Look, look at how he wraps it up. He says in verse 19, now we know. Now we know. We've seen sufficient proof. We've seen sufficient evidence. And we know for sure the case is proven. The witness of God through Scripture has closed the argument. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under or in the law. Whatever the law says, and, and sometimes Paul will use this word law for principle. Sometimes he'll use it describing the entirety of the Scripture. Sometimes he'll use it describing the Mosaic law. And he's brought a, enough to bear that we have seen that those, that what the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So the law, although the context of the quotes is Psalms and Isaiah, the, the basis of the accusation of guilt comes from the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Law, where we see sin defined, righteousness defined, the standard laid out. And Paul says it speaks to those who are in the law or under the law. And every one of us are born in the law. This is that we're born having only this as our. Uh, channel to, to relate to God. Not just the Jews as we've seen, although they do have the written law and they have more privilege. We've also seen as we look through this section that the Gentiles have no excuse because that law is part of creation and is written on the heart. So the extent of the law that the Gentile had, the written law that you had, it, it, it serves to prove them guilty. All are born with a duty to keep God's law perfectly. That's what it means to keep God's law. It doesn't mean to all... It's not like, you know, Princess Bride mostly did. <laughs> you know? It's not like almost keeping it. It's not like school when sometimes your teachers would sort of curb the grade, right? Or if you went home with a 92, your parents might say, Yahoo! Good job, well done. No, it's a hundred or nothing. It's perfect. If you would be right with God based on what you do, you will get it 100% right in thought, word, and deed, or you are lost. That's what God's word says. Notice we've seen it above. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one does good. Not even one. So I would suggest that you don't argue with God. Because he's been gracious to tell us ahead of time what the standard is and the fact that we all fall short. Go read the Ten Commandments and ask yourself, have I kept even one of these in thought, word, and deed today? And if you're honest, the answer will be no. I have not thought the right thing and rejected the wrong thoughts, even since I got up this morning perfectly. I've not said the right thing and not said the wrong thing 
perfectly since I got up. And I've not done the right thing and not done the wrong thing perfectly since I got up. And we know sin starts in the heart and we saw that previously. See, we're all born with a duty to keep God's law and God's law is there so that we might see how holy He is and see what His perfect standard is and see that we fall short of that standard. So we are justly, at being in the law or under the law, we are justly under its verdict, which is condemnation. I am telling you the truth this morning. You won't almost make it. And in fact, if you are not fully hoping in Christ, you won't make it at all because we have to be righteous to have fellowship with God. And He's already told us no one is. And repeated it for emphasis. So we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law. What's the purpose, Paul? Look at this. That every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth. Zipped. Like Job, when God was revealing Himself to to him, he finally said, he put his hand over his mouth. The country preacher says, God put him in a shut-up. That's what it will do to us and should do to us when we see who God is and we see the standard, the law, and we see the pile of evidence that we've fallen short. We should be quiet. I know one of the worst things I could do as a child when I was being disciplined was talk back. Stripes got a little hotter after that. Because what my parents wanted me to do was shut up Listen to them and understand why I was being disciplined and that it was the right thing to do. Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? We see that question in Scripture. It's not our place. We do it, even if we never speak it, right? We do it in here. But see, God says the evidence should shut our mouths. It should make us like Job, put our hand over our mouth, put us in a shut up so that we let the law do what it's supposed to do. So that we see that we all fall short. No, there are no valid excuses. But if, if, if they'd have just not done this, then I wouldn't have... No, you can't. Listen, it started in the garden, but we can't blame our sin on anybody else. Life is hard sometimes, but we can't blame sin on the fact that life is hard. People are mean, but we can't blame our sin on other people. Wives and husbands fall short, but we can't blame our response on our spouse. There's 50% of marriage counseling for you. Don't go, don't, don't go to a marriage counselor to have them fix your spouse and blame all your stuff on them. Sometimes there are exceptions, but... No excuses, no rationalization, guilt firmly established, and what should happen is humbled. 
so that we stop. Every mouth stopped out of humility. Look at Isaiah 2.17. And the, the haughtiness of man shall be humbled and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. John Piper said there are three books that testify against us and bring us to, should bring us to this silence. And we've seen that in Romans as we've gone along. The first one is the book of nature. In verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. If you don't believe in God, that's on you, not God. Because God doesn't believe in atheists. <laughs> we know that sinful man suppresses the truth of God. But God says... There's enough evidence to hold you without excuse. How about the book of conscience? We saw in verse 15. The Gentiles, he's talking about, he says, Show the work of the law written on their hearts while their conscience also bear witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. The book of conscience shows us. And in that day, even if we've been a Gentile and we've never seen the word of God, it will be brought forward to show that that law was there in the heart and what light we had we rejected. And didn't obey. And thirdly, the book of the law. And we're there this morning, verse 19. Our text. Tiny men with big mouths will be humbled on that day. Everyone will bow the knee. You might not like it and you might be spitting mad. But God's righteousness will be demonstrated, your falling short will be demonstrated, and you will be cast into hell if you have not turned and trusted in Jesus. Are you trusting in Him today? Christopher Hitchens' mouth's already been stopped. He knows better now. Dawkins' mouth will be stopped. Joe Rogan's mouth will be stopped. Every, your mouth will be stopped. Young people, sometimes we get, we get in our teenage years and we think we figured it all out. Your brain's not even fully developed yet. Not trying to insult you, it's just a fact. But your mouth will be stopped. Stop it today. Let's just stop it today. And recognize the truth of God because He's telling you this for a good purpose. He didn't have to tell us this. He didn't have to put it in written form. Our mouths will be stopped and all of God's opponents' mouths will be stopped. We will hush and realize. Look, look what else he says. That the whole world may be held accountable to God. It's Creator. To the righteous judgment of God. The whole world will be guilty before God. None have kept His law. Sin must be judged. Please own that fact. 
Go ahead and let your mouth and heart be stopped. Go ahead and see the guilt that is yours. Go ahead and turn to the Savior who is real. But the whole world will be accountable for their sin to God. We saw last week that we will answer for every careless word we speak. You want to do that? Without forgiveness in Christ and I wouldn't advise it. None have kept the law. Sin must be judged. What's the second thing Paul is wrapping up and warning us to know? Look at verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We're certainly going to talk much more about justification next week as we spring over into the but God part. You know, the Ephesians 2 sort of summing of this bigger section where but God, because of His great love with which He loved. We're going to talk more about justification next week. But to be justified is to be declared righteous by God. And in order to be declared righteous by God, He's a truth teller, you have to be righteous. And we've just seen that the testimony of Scripture is that we are not. Listen, you will either be declared righteous or guilty at God's judgment bar with no other verdicts. Like I say, not almost righteous, not mostly righteous, not better than Hitler. He's not the standard. For by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I'm not going into the controversy this morning. There are some people who try to limit the focus of works of the law on circumcision and other things that would separate Jew from Gentile. Just here to tell you that's not the way Paul uses the phrase. And we'll see in chapter 4 when we get there how he talks about works and, and uh, that, that there's not that kind of limit here. We're talking about moral law here. And you see it by what he says later in the verse. But the works of the law here... Are, are, this is the moral aspect. This is the general moral aspect. This is the Ten Commandments. This is what covers inner thoughts and outer actions. And Paul is saying you can't be justified by doing everything demanded by God's law. Why not? Well, we've already talked about that. We all fall short in every phase of that. We've broken His commandments. Therefore, we are sinful. We need a Savior. We can't fix it. He has to fix it. The guilt and corruption that we inherit from our father Adam is not washed away by water or good deeds or any such thing. Look what Paul says. No human being, no flesh, literally, will be Accepted as righteous by God on the basis of having been good enough. On the basis of having kept His law. We're going to talk about again that works of the law and all that more as we go forward through the book of Romans. I will say in case you know what it is, I don't want to send you on any rabbit trails. New perspective on Paul and things like that are wrong. That's not my focus this morning. Nobody, no human being, no soul 
will be justified, declared righteous, accepted by, by God as righteous based on their performance, based on their keeping His commandments. You cannot be accepted by God on the basis of your performance. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that interpretation is proven true by what he says next. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. See, this law, the law he's talking about is the law that reveals sin. The law that says thou shalt not and we do. The law that defines what sin is and brings into our, our beings a knowledge of sin. So what does Paul mean by through the law comes the knowledge of sin? I would suggest we let him tell us instead of guessing. And one of the ways that we interpret Scripture is we compare Scripture with Scripture and especially within the same author, how they use these words in different places and let them explain to us what they mean. We don't take verses of Scripture and just pl pluck them out and poke them on a card or something and you, you rip it out of its context and you only read that verse, you'll never understand it. Not rightly. Over in chapter 7, which we'll get there and we'll talk more about that when we get there, but Paul kind of explains things to us using his own personal story. But in 7, listen, look at this and it'll be on the slides and you can look it up in your Bibles if you want to. Romans 7, 7 to 8. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? In other words, the reason I haven't kept the law, the problem is with the law and not with me. Right? No. Look. By no means. Remember, that's the strongest positive negative answer in Greek. Negation. God forbid. All of it, We talked about that before. Yet if it had not been for the law, in other words, in other places we'll see when we get there that he talks about the law, law is holy, it's spiritual, right? The problem's with us. But look what he says, by no means, now watch what he says, yet if it had not been for the law, I would, have not, I would not have, now watch, known sin. I, would have, I wouldn't have been brought to a knowledge of sin, which is what he says in 3.20 that, that happens. The law brings a knowledge of of sin, which includes more than just mental, experiential as well. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, now watch this, watch the, the evil of sin. Sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, which is holy and righteous and good, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So see, knowledge of sin is more than just knowing what it is. It's more than just being able to intellectually explain it. Just like knowing the Lord is more than just knowing about Him. Or Old Testament, knowing your wife. The Old Testament, knowing of the wife made babies. Obviously, that's more than just mental knowledge, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's an experiential aspect of it that Paul's explaining to us. And he says it wasn't the law's fault, but sin took opportunity of the law and produced in me, what he says, all kinds of covetousness. Experience of sin and its condemnation. 
That's what it's talking about. Look at what he says. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. What does that mean? We get confused in a lot of this life, death, reign language in Romans, right? Sin being dead doesn't mean it's not there. It means sin is dead in my life. I'm not walking with a conscious awareness of it. To me, it's dead. I'm just I'm going about my way. I'm not focused on it. I'm not conscious of it. It doesn't seem to be a problem to me. And then there came the law for Paul. And the heart-searching commandment of thou shalt not covet. And he said it produced in me all kinds of covetousness. It amplified it. It incited it. Through the law, we know it. The law makes it known. Conviction known. The law identifies and condemns sin. But it does more in the unconverted heart. It incites sin. Like Paul said, it produced all kinds of covetousness in me. Why did it do that? In Paul's heart at that time. Romans 8, 7. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now watch this. This is the natural person, the unconverted person, the person without the spirit, the person whose southern lingo hadn't been saved yet. Of course, good Bible lingo as well. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in the flesh, which means you're not in the Spirit, which means you're not in Christ, because all who are in Christ have the Spirit, new heart, new life, new desires. The lost man, what the law does is incite sin. And there's remnants of that left over in us that we have to struggle with, right? It incites it. It amplifies it in the unregenerate heart. It brings to the fore a hatred of it, proved by a not doing it. The love of God is to keep His commandments and they're not burdensome, right? It's not just a feeling that we have. A lot of people feel like they love God and they live like they love Satan. So the knowledge of sin is a right understanding of sin. It's that it's sin against God. It's an experience of that condemnation and conviction. See, that's the first use of the law. We talk about three uses of the law. But the primary use of the law is a diagnostic tool to show us our sin. The Spirit takes the law and those in whom He's at work and He applies that standard such that we see, experience, and are convicted by the fact that we shall fall short. The problem's not with the law, it's with us and our sinful bent. We'll talk about more about that later when we get on further into Romans. We will never keep the law apart from conversion. In fact, we'll not even ever truly try in the right way apart from conversion. Why? Because we're sinful. Dead in sin. Going our own way. Pursuing what we want and what we think is right. Yes, we'll let God come into the picture when He'll bless our plans and do things we want Him to do. But we're in no way submitted to Him and telling Him His will be done. One of the words used for sin is a, is a missing the mark. You ever, you ever heard that? Sin is missing the mark. What is the mark? What is the bullseye? It's the bullseye of righteousness 
is keeping God's law out of a pure heart, a heart that loves Him and loves it and wants to do it. You want to know what that heart sounds like? Go read Psalm 119. Be a good exercise on the Lord's Day to go dwell in Psalm 119. But what is archery? Well, archery is a bow and arrow shooting at a target. Bang, there's the target. So if you imagine that target is God's law and our moral attempts are our arrows, if we're going to keep God's law, every one of our ten arrows has to not only hit the target, it has to hit that center little cross right there. And some of you have seen people that can really shoot a bow and arrow and they'll stick one in the bullseye and then they'll get another one and they'll split the one they just stuck in the bullseye. Well, if we're going to hit the mark, morally speaking, we have to hit the bullseye and then split every other arrow to hit the mark. If we don't hit the bullseye, we've missed the mark. Sin, 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 sin. You see what I'm saying? If we miss the mark, we've sinned. We're missing the bullseye. In order to keep the law and be justified, all of our moral arrows have to hit dead center. But see, the problem with the lost person is that their heart is hostile to God and His law. They're not even truly aiming at the target. It's a dangerous thing to be around them with a bow and arrow in their hands. Because hostile to that, they might shoot over here. If you're standing over here, collateral damage. See, until God converts our heart, we're not even really even aiming at it. We'll rationalize and explain away and curb the grade and not think about it and do all sorts of things to avoid the fact that none is righteous. No, not one. That we've fallen short. That we need a Savior. See, what happens in the lost person's heart, the law doesn't awaken faith in the lost person. It brings sin to life. But thankfully, when the Spirit's at work, it's followed by conviction and a cry for mercy. We've seen that in Paul's life. You see it in the psalmist in 143.2. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. See, see how the psalmist is sort of shutting his mouth and adopting God's viewpoint? That's what confession is, by the way. It's not just saying you sinned. It's agreeing with God. That he is right in adopting his viewpoint and asking for forgiveness. So what Paul has shown in this section and what he's summing up in these verses is that no one will be accepted by God. No one will be justified on the basis of their performance, on the basis of their keeping the law, on the basis of their being good enough. Because none is righteous, no not one, none will make it. Apart from being born again, we hate His law. And we certainly do not keep it perfectly. We are not righteous. Galatians, and if we try, see if we try, if we think we just do our best and He'll do the rest. You've ever heard that? That's another one of those great verses that aren't in the Bible. God helps them that help themselves. Bah! God helps them that can't help themselves. Right? Galatians 3.10, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curses, it will help us interpret what the works of the law mean too. We'll talk more about it later. 
What do you mean, Paul? Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. See how it's bringing every. It's not just circumcision and things. It's bringing everything. Cursed is everyone who doesn't provide, abide by everything in the law. If we don't keep it perfectly, we are cursed. And that's why you've seen, and, and hopefully we're in it a little early this morning, but my two words of, I have two words of application. And I realize one of them is kind of southern. Hush. Your parents ever tell you hush? Or shut up? Or stop? Or zip it? One more word. Did you ever hear that? Would, I would suggest not going past that. Hush and hope. Hush. What do we mean by that? Stop talking. When you see this standard, shut up and adopt it. Don't try to explain it away. Don't try to show how you sort of are going to make it through it, how you really don't need Jesus. And if, if, if certainly if that person's going to be in heaven, I should be in Shut up. Stop excusing your sin. Stop justifying your sin. Stop rationalizing your sin. Own it and confess it and repent of it by God's grace before it's too late. The time is now, today, this morning for you to say, I believe you, God. None is righteous. That includes me. None can save themselves. That includes me. All must rely on His mercy. What did the tax collector pray? See, the Pharisee was, don't I do this and don't I do that and I've done this and, and look at that nasty sinner. The tax collector said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And he's the one that went home justified. So hush. You can't save yourself. You can't keep the law. Your good works won't outweigh your bad. I'm so sick of hearing stuff like that. Well, when I get before the judgment seat, you'll see my good works will outweigh my bad works. Redemptively speaking, outside of Jesus Christ, you don't have any good works. What Isaiah say, all my righteousness, all our righteousness is filthy rags. But let's just suppose you did. Imagine this. You remember we talked about being on trial for murder. Imagine you go before that judge and you say, but I haven't murdered anymore since I did that. And I've paid my taxes. And I've gone to church. And I'm a good parent. Implication. So I should get off. Now, if that was your loved one they killed, how would you feel about that? You're not going to give them a passing grade, are you? Nor should you because that wouldn't be just. Sin has to be atoned for. Sin has to be made right. Sin, the penalty has to be paid. It can't just be swept under the rug. And all, none of your good works are going to make up for it. See, God saves us unto good works. That He works in us after we're converted. Before that, none of them are. And we certainly can't wash our sin away with what we do. You have sinned. I have sinned. We fall short. We justly deserve condemnation. And in and of ourselves, we have no hope. It's not do your best and God do the rest. It's not Jesus gets you in, but then it's up to you to stay in. 
So many ways that said. So hush. Go back and read Romans 3 and see that none is righteous, no, not one, none does good, no fear. We've all fallen short. Every mouth should be stopped and we should realize that we can't be justified by our own doing. You will not go before the Lord at Judgment Day and prove you've been good enough to get in because the evidence will be stacked against you that you're not. Don't wait till that day to realize that. But I have good news for you. There is one hope. There is hope. Just like in Ephesians when we're, we're going through verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2 and it's taking us down, down, down into the bowels of sin and then there's but God. See, God makes the difference. God is the Savior. God delivers from sin and its condemnation. God delivers from its penalty and someday from its power and He does that in one place and in one person. The, the, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, meaning Jew and Gentile, not every single person. Another sermon. Listen to me. Put all of your sins in a pile. Right? And somebody said this, and I couldn't remember who. It was a deathbed testimony that this is what they had done. Put all of your sins mentally in a pile. Put all of your good works in the same pile and flee from it to Christ. Hope in nothing but Jesus for justification. Why did Christ come if we could save ourselves by being good enough? No, it's because we couldn't. And we'd been given to Him and He came to first live for us. So He was born in humble and low condition beginning His humiliation. He lived under His own law fulfilling all righteousness as God and man. He was the beautiful, pure, perfect, spotless Lamb of God pictured in the regulations of the Old Testament in those sacrifices. He deserved only blessing. But God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, that we might be justified in Him. He was silent for us. Do you remember that? He was silent for us so that we might be silent before Him and receive His salvation. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like the sheep that before its shearers is silent. So He opened not His mouth. He willingly set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem and to go to that cross. And he persevered through the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. Your will be done. He drank that cup of God's wrath dry. Do every one of those given to him before the foundation of the world. Every one of those who would trust him by his grace. And he was raised the third day, proving it's all true. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15... Christ died, He kept His mouth shut, and He died for our sins. He was buried. 
and he was raised the third day for our what? Justification. Because we can't save ourselves. Only those who stop their mouth now and flee to Christ will be saved. You're not guaranteed another day, another moment on this planet. By God's grace, you might have many. Don't leave here and forget this. Only those who stop their mouth and flee to Christ will be saved. And I know I have majored on sin and sinners and lost people this morning because you know why? That's what this text does. I got good news for you. I've just given you some of it. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is a whole lot more. Right? Look back at our text. Let's read it one more time before we quit. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law of purpose so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. If you're not in Christ, your status before God is guilty. And deserving of death. Remember we started with the sentence. I sentence you to death. And you have no valid excuses to remove that sentence. But if by grace you hush and hope in Christ alone, here's what you can know. It is finished. To tell us die. You know what that means? Paid in all of my sin the guilt of my sin went on to him and he paid it in full before I ever sinned once and you right because at the point we came to faith all of our sin was past but it was all future from that standpoint and he died for it all he either paid for it all or you're not getting there If you die and wind up in purgatory, someday you'll realize it ain't purgatory, it's hell. And you ain't getting out. Because Christ either paid it all or he paid none of it. To tell us die, paid in full. He did that. Your sin debt is paid by the one who opened not his mouth for you. Therefore, hush. And hope in Him. Hush and hope in Christ because no one can be justified apart from by keeping His law. You cannot save yourself. Turn to Him. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy. Confirm and encourage and build up and bless those who are your children listening to this. And convict and horrify those who are not. I pray for every person who's not trusting you this morning. From the smallest child to the oldest adult. Who's not hoping completely in Christ. Casting aside anything they try to do good. Hoping, I pray for that person that you would convict them. That you would convert them so that they would turn and place all of their hope in Jesus. So that they would repent of walking their own way and in sin and depending on themselves in some sense, to turning and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and hoping in Him alone. 
with great confidence knowing that this is how you love the world, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever trusts in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I pray that every person listening to me will have everlasting life in Christ, but I don't dare presume that all of us know you at this point. So work in us to hush and work in us to hope and to hope in Christ Jesus alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.